Hello and welcome to the Hospitality Insights podcast, In Focus. The impact that COVID-19 is having on the hospitality industry is palpable. There is no time more important than right now to come together, share information and discuss what this means for our future. Join us every week for a fresh episode of conversation, insight and analysis with contributions from senior people across the industry. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Hospitality Insights in Focus. I'm Alexi Kajavi, Managing Director of Questex Hospitality, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Catherine Doggerel, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Insights. Catherine, hello. Hello, Alexi. How are you? I'm good. Good. Thank you. Uh, so, Catherine, uh, we've got a great program today with Russell Kett of HVS Global, as well as Rob Mangan, Vice President of Hotels for Bain Capital. Uh, joining us on In Focus, but um, before we bring in our guests, let's uh, let's discuss this past week's stories. Uh, a week defined, perhaps, by liquidity and cleanliness, uh, and I'm not talking about uh, bubble baths, but the news that uh, Airbnb again and Hilton have raised more money, and global operators like Accor and Marriott are releasing new cleanliness programs, and perhaps some forthcoming brand standards around uh, cleanliness and security. Uh, Airbnb, as I said, raised another billion in debt. Uh, that's just a week after raising a separate billion. Uh, the home sharing company announced it secured uh, that billion from institutional investors, this time in a syndicated term loan. Uh, and not to be outdone, uh, you were the first to report actually on a story in Hospitality Insights this week that Hilton raised a billion from an advanced sale of loyalty points to its co-brand uh, credit card partner, uh, American Express. So in your scoop, you spoke with the founder and CEO of a company called Affinity Capital Exchange, which is a New York-based technology startup developing technology that allows airlines, hotels, and banks to access the uh, financial instruments backed by those loyalty point portfolios. So a lot of money swashing about. Uh, Do you expect to see more of this from other global operators and others as well? Um, yeah, a lot of money swishing about at the moment. It's quite startling considering that no one has any money. Um, but uh, yes, so the anticipation is certainly that other companies will go for this. Uh, Marriott seems very much the obvious choice at this point. So I, I think it's not too much of a of a punt to say that we can expect them to be announcing something like this. And why not? Because as far as we can tell, it's free money. Um, it makes me deeply suspicious, as you can imagine. But there's no damage to the credit card company. They all have these co-branded deals, and this is the perfect time to capitalize on them. Amex would use these points anyway. They're just getting them in advance, but probably not a massive discount, but a discount nonetheless, we suspect. Um, and then they will deploy them as they see fit. Um, loyalty points, if you go onto balance sheets, they're there. Um, it's a real thing. Um, it's just, I think, for for observers, I sp- first spoke to Asanas um, a few years ago when he launched Affinity, and I could barely believe it then. But mm. if you look back in the airline industry history, people use this to to raise money and have done its completely standard operating procedure just because the customer is told essentially that loyalty points don't really mean anything. Turns out they do in the real world. It's, it's flummoxing, flummoxing, I tell you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it seems to be an extension of, uh, you know, of, of the global operators splitting up their their companies into Opco, Propco, uh, Timeshare, and now uh, even loyalty programs, which are you know unlocking value for for those global operators uh, as well as the retail and institutional investors. So you know nothing against anyone shoring up their balance sheets at the moment. Um, however, Sil- uh, Hilton's selling a billion in which are essentially derivatives 
in hotel uh, redemptions to Amex uh, for you know for redemptions that 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 will be perhaps claimed sooner than the incoming revenues that underlie those points being earned. How do you think owners uh, will see this? So far as that you know, the owners of hotels, pubs, restaurants across the UK and Europe would argue they haven't seen sufficient wage support or rent forgiveness or even loan forbearance. Do you think they'll see this as a positive or or a neutral or, or perhaps a negative? Um, it's, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of, of who it's a negative for. It has the potential to be a negative for the customer because these points can be devalued at will. Um, so there's that. And I think it does open up a wider question of where loyalty programs are going and what they mean, because recently we've seen this drive for direct and that has caused quite a lot of ructions amongst owners because it's quite expensive. Um, and the loyalty programs are, are swilled into that. So the bigger these programs get, the more the owner is paying just for the marketing aspect of them. We saw in Marriott's full year results, but it's costing Marriott as well. Bonvoy has been very successful. Um, and so it's costing to, to get all these points out and, um, and it will have to be paid for somewhere. At the moment, that seems fine. Um, going forward, it's hard to say when you're not earning any money, when these points will be redeemed, um, what they're gonna look like. They're related to rates. If rates are going down, then that's not ideal. Um, what will it mean? I suppose any, any redemption is fine. If anyone's gonna redeem them anyway, you know, you're gonna use your points to go and stay somewhere if you're not convinced that it's not clean or anything like that. So it's, it's all a, a bit of a pickle. I don't like to get too much into futures and derivatives because it's way above my pay grade for my brain and I think more pertinently we all saw what happened with the oil price this week and that's all around futures and you know really we don't want to go down that road where you've got to be bailed out because your loyalty points are worth less than it costs to store your person or however that would be compared but it's anything where you start messing around with futures at this point is a bit dangerous when you know what the future looks like yeah well said well said. Uh, yeah, when when oil goes uh, goes negative uh, because you you know the the producers are paying uh, for others to uh, to take it because they, they have no more storage. Uh, you're right. I think that's uh, that's that's above our pay grades, uh, so to speak. So you know, there's a lot of spare ballroom space at the moment. So if you want to just <laughs> great place for uh, for brand food. Let's yeah. go. You know, indeed, indeed. There's no events. No IHIF, no uh, no others. Uh, you may as well stuff those ballrooms with uh, with uh, with Brent crude. Well, do, well do, said. Do I think so. Great. I have three cheap at the moment. <laughs> well, uh, we're moving on then from perhaps from uh, from liquidity. If if cash is king, then cleanliness may be the new queen. Uh, just in the last week, we had a core announce a partnership uh, with Bureau Veritas uh, to develop a safety and cleanliness certification. Uh, which will enable their hotels to open and provide a sense of security to what we hope are some forthcoming guests. Uh, and then just on the heels of Accor's announcement, Marriott announced the creation of what they're calling the Marriott Global Cleanliness Council. It's a mouthful, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, their effort there is to tackle the sort of new realities of the pandemic uh, at the hotel level is what they said. Uh, the council is focused on developing uh, the next level of global hospitality cleanliness standards. Uh, you, uh, no, no question that it's not too soon to think about, you know, what that new hotel looks like in the future. And in fact, you, you touched upon this as well in, in your interview this week with, uh, with Dexter Morin about uh, what that new hotel looks like. Um, what, what can hotels do in the near term 
that will make us as guests safer as well as the employees of those properties. Uh, and is, is that enough? Uh, and given, again, going back to the liquidity issue, given most owners aren't necessarily flush with cash at the moment, who's going to pay for all that cleanliness? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so the hotel of the future is look but don't touch. And anyone who can make that happen as much as possible is going to be onto a winner. But um, where the where Marriott and Accor are both playing at the moment is to their strength with trust, which goes back to loyalty. They're really, really dialing it up now. If you want to stay with them, you stay somewhere now. You really, really have to believe that they're looking out for you as a guest. Um, it's not just about you know taking your credit card because they think you're going to steal from the minibar anymore. It's about your life and what they're doing to protect that. And so I think one of the interesting things with the Accor play is that they've gone out to the French government this week to say to them, this is our plan for reopening hotels. Can you rubber stamp it, essentially? And then they'll go to the other European governments and say, this is the plan. They've supported it. What can we do? Because as we've seen time and time again, global governments are not interested in the hotel sector. Um, and it's if you look at them, you know, they produce an awful lot of contribution, an awful lot of GDP, but not as much as many of the other industries which are easier to open. And so they have to come up with these strategies, which then will get government wide support. And that's great. And if you sign up to that, that's fine. But as you said, somebody has to pay for this. And those who and it's, it will be mandatory. Somebody in as much as if you don't pay for it, if you go and search on Expedia or the Accor site or wherever for your hotel and you don't see, I assume, a hugely prominently um, displayed logo saying this hotel has been certified clean, you will not be staying there. Therefore, your recovery is going to look pretty rubbish. Uh, so this is a, almost a mandatory brand standard. Um, understandably, everyone wants to feel clean. As to what feeling clean or being clean actually looks like, I'm not a scientist. You could tell me that we could all wear foil hats and that's going to work. We're all wearing masks. No one knows if they work. Um, it's going to be about reassurance and about this certification. I think the more and more people pile into this, and B&B are working with another company for on a similar plan, the more people pile in, the more confusing it has the potential to get. And then it will fall back again on how much you trust Marriott, how much you trust Accor to trust in their brand. So it's trust in, trust in, trust in, trust, um, which obviously has the potential to topple over. But at the same time, it's much necessary. Um, at the same time, in the UK, um, one of the big law firms is working to try and get a rental plan pushed forward so that because obviously we're all approaching these horrible rental deadlines and the solutions at the moment, are, you know, 300 lawyers talking to 300 different companies trying to all talk to the government at once doesn't work. Everyone needs to come together, come up with a plan, stamp it, get it through. Because government isn't interested and the hospitality sector has to move forward itself to come up with these plans. Or as they said last week on the SDR call, they will be left at the back of the queue for reopening. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. which is certainly something that we're seeing a lot of the uh, the investment community and, and and those small owner operators uh, are certainly being feeling left out, whether that be with loan forbearance and and other uh, wage support uh, and, and so forth. Uh, it is, uh, uh, I think the uh, the depth of this crisis has certainly settled in over the last couple of weeks, and we are once again seeing that hospitality uh, as a whole, whether that be the hotel uh, uh, niche or the pubs and restaurants niche really has never had a strong voice within government. And uh, unfortunately, we're starting to, I think, uh, see the realities of that uh, uh, of that scenario play out and that we just don't have a voice at the table uh, fighting for this sector, uh, unlike manufacturing and some others that have done a, a traditionally better job of lobbying. Um, talking yeah, about certification. I think, now, I think it's reassuring <laughs> that we are seeing these moves. You know, Apple are very well connected with the French government. Uh, Marriott have traditionally always had a strong voice with the US government, lesser at the moment. But still, I imagine connections are strong. So it's good that they're now coming forward with solutions. You know, it's all about, hey, I don't want to hear problems. I want to hear solutions. And here are the solutions. So 
Talking about uh, cleanliness certification uh, and uh, considering that today is Earth Day, uh, which was actually, uh, I think, started 50 years ago, if I'm not uh, to be mistaken. So uh, giving a shout out to, uh, to planet Earth. But, uh, you know, when you talk about cleanliness certification, uh, it sounds very similar to the sustainability certification schemes uh, that we've been talking about uh, almost now two decades, which, um, you know, quite frankly, never uh, really got off the ground, were never scaled, uh, never globalized and never taken uh, at, uh, you know, uh, broadly across the industry. Uh, you did a, uh, an interview with David Kellett of Invesco, uh, which, you know, is supported and, and has a, a number of LP uh, institutional investors, which a part, as a part of that investment mandate uh, has, you know, uh, sustainability uh, covenants and caveats uh, within their investment uh, uh, mandates. Uh, however, David was a little bit more bearish on where sustainability will rank in terms of importance, uh, given where we are now. Uh, a much different statement that uh, uh, that he was making just uh, a couple of months ago, where you know sustainability was certainly at the top, uh, one of the top uh, criteria for Invesco and many other uh, investors. Where do you think sustainability goes now, and and is it parallel perhaps with cleanliness? Uh, or have we seen that put on the back burner? Um, well, obviously, David's still very much looking to sustainability and still pushing everyone that they work with to do that. Um, but yes, you have to prioritize getting money in through the door. And it's very important to remember that if you are using sustainable energy products, you probably are saving money on your balance sheet. And that's great. And you should definitely on that area. Um, otherwise, I would say it's not a priority at the moment. Uh, everyone wants the airlines back in the sky. So, sorry, good luck, Greta. You've enjoyed a couple of months and it's likely to fall apart from now on in. Um, when it comes down to it, the, one of the reasons why the certification plans never never took off is because they weren't required. Um, this will be required. Uh, if you want people to stay in your place and you don't want them to die, <laughs> then this will be required. Saving the planet, there is a long-term you know, game there to be played and no one wants to be killed. But when it comes down to it, the virus is more upfront in people's minds as regards health and safety than the long-term future of the planet. Maybe, you know, some unusual weather patterns is what it comes down to. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so sustainability remains somewhat aspirational whilst uh, cleanliness becomes a brand standard. Yeah. So, although, I, you know, I, if you can, you know, touching back on, on offices again, if you have an office and it's sustainable, you can sell it for more. Um, if that comes into the hotel sector, great. It'll drive it again. It's all about the monies, obviously. I do think, though, that sustainability via prop tech, uh, so the sustainability which is creating uh, efficiencies of, of that asset, uh, will see uh, certainly, I think, uh, uh, a significant opportunity within the current Absolutely. market. So uh, perhaps sustainability through the, the conduit of prop tech which is creating efficiencies, which in turn is creating flow yeah. through economics and profit. You can sell the, sell the proof of it. Um, yeah. It's like back in the days of the internet where no one was doing online marketing because the internet wasn't a real thing. Um, all marketing people had to persuade people that they had to go online and sell stuff and the internet was a real thing. It took a while to catch on. And then once it turned out you could do it quite cheaply, everyone was really, really into it. And then the OTAs came along, we don't talk about that. So, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> that's a, it's a chosen history. History is written by the victors, as they say. Um, one, I'm interested uh, to see if they, they're the victors out of the end of this, because they were last time. Well, as, time. As, 
That's right. I mean, out of the, out of the GFC came uh, came some very big names: Uber, Airbnb, and WeWork. And I think, as we said a few weeks ago, <laughs> uh, they're not uh, they're not faring too well uh, this time around. No, no, you know, never mind. As I think I said, I've just ran here somewhere as my tiny violin, but even in the intervening weeks, I haven't found it. It's tough, you know, when you when you have to to uh, to, to raise a two billion dollars in two weeks. Uh, it, no, it's uh, hard. It's, uh, it's heady days. Uh, well, uh, uh, Catherine, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, it should be a, an exciting conversation today with Russell Kett and Ron Mangan. Uh, I do want to uh, also encourage everyone to get to hospitalityinsights.com, where you'll find all of Catherine's great stories. You can uh, subscribe to our newsletters there, as well as find all of the uh, hotel investment forums and conferences that we, uh, again, hope to be forthcoming uh, very soon. So again, Catherine, take care, be well, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Shane. You too. We've got Rob Mangan with us. And Rob, do you still like hotels? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only to invest in them and stay in them, but uh, yeah, they're great. Excellent. Do you view them as in any way riskier than they were, or is this just an unfortunate happening? Um, no, there, there's going to be changes. There's going to be fundamental changes. There's going to be, which is going to be driven by, uh, I'd say, government policy, and also the most important factor is uh, consumer behaviour. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, to, to say there's not going to be a change um, after post COVID nineteen uh, would be a, a naive statement. So, I think, but to you need to sort of be working straight away and thinking about that. And we're going to be thinking about that in terms of our strategies moving forward. Um, but it, it's, I, it, they will come back. There's no question. Travel, comparing it to 08, to the, the last sort of big recession to now, there's a lot of different, um, the parameters are very, very different. Again, just looking at where travel is coming from. 10, 11, 12 years ago, you didn't have the huge demand being driven by uh, the Chinese market. Um, so I do, you know, it will come back, but it will take a while. Uh, for it to happen. As far as strategically, where do you see these changes coming from? What will need to change as far as you can tell as far out? Um, well, so the mo- I, I think what we're, we're looking at is, you know, when we're, uh, our uh, concentration of hotels within the Mediterranean market. One thing we are uh, lucky to in some ways is there's a huge domestic demand for hotels uh, in Italy, Greece, Spain. So that you know not having to use uh, fl- uh, aeroplanes uh, etc to you know for our guests to get to our hotels uh, is probably beneficial so that's something what we will look at is how much domestic demand historically has driven a market um, any hotels I think around regional airports will take longer and that's down to airlines you know needing the support of uh, government support uh, to get them back up on their feet um, and we're we're at the mercy, you know, if you've got a hotel that's very much driven by international business, you're at the mercy of the uh, the flight lift to that location, um, mm. which could take longer. And again, that's driven by one, you know, governments helping the the airlines, the the airlines having a sensible approach, but also uh, people behaviour. Are people going to be happy to get on an airplane, or as people, I'm based in the UK, am I just going to take myself and my family and drive three hours up the road? Uh, and stay, and that will be our family holiday because we'll feel safer and more confident of not sort of coming in contact with people for. And I don't think this is long term, but I think it is twelve to eighteen months. It's going to be in people's in the back of their minds. Yeah, 
Um, and in the Mediterranean area, how are you seeing this year's summer season? Um, well, I know that everyone keeps changing. I think there is a little bit of, oh, you know, three weeks time, you know, everything reopens. I think it's going to be very, very slow. Um, I think there's going to be essential services that are going to reopen. We do need to get economies moving again. Um, we are seeing, you know, we were tracking business on the books in our um, some of our Mediterranean hotels, and we're already seeing bookings coming in for July, August, uh, and some in June. But now we need to see what the wash is on those, and sort of, you know, you know, people booking now, but you know, cancelling close to the time. But we are seeing business, you know, people are booking, but it is 95% of it's domestic. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Um, where did where do the brands play in all this for you? Where are you getting demand from, and what will you lean on to push them? Yeah, well, I think the I think the brands have a, a huge, absolutely huge role to play in this. You know, I think over the last two decades they've had a strategy of being asset light. And um, will we see brands, you know, partner, you know, taking a, a an equity position in certain hotels where the owner just needs that financial support to get them through this? And um, will they need to consider slowing down their, you know, their pipeline, their supply growth uh, trajectories and consolidate their brands and really focus on supporting owners? Because if they don't do that, I think if it comes two or three years time and someone's looking to um, uh, develop or rebrand a hotel, um, I think they'll be going, well, where were you in 2020 when I really needed your help? So I think the brands have a huge part, not only from developing more strategic and um, operating procedures and um, that also are in line with what's probably going to be driven by regulation which we're seeing Singapore now has brought out a, a cleaning hygiene standard and um, so I, that's that's going to be the first of many many uh, changes that yeah. we're going to see. Um, yes yeah, so that's interesting with the brands I can't really see anything getting in the way of their pipelines because um, they enjoy them so very much. Yeah, <laughs> the share price is driven by isn't it? Yeah exactly more yeah. more ever. Um, I can't help thinking that the current view of pipelines will be how many hotels we can get open if you're a brand now, how many, and they'll compete on that because they need to compete on something. Um, I was interested uh, earlier this week, I don't know if you saw that Hilton had raised um, a billion, one billion dollars of uh, pre-selling its loyalty points. Yeah. Um, do you yeah. see, it's a fascinating piece of um, engineering, but yeah. um, it's, yeah. which I can't fully comprehend, but <laughs> fortunately, but yeah. um, I, will make sense somewhere but I'm sure somebody is going to miss out on this um, and as an investor where do you think loyalty does deal fill you with joy or complete lack of interest or you think great they've got a billion they can support the owners now or what's um, your thoughts on all these well, yeah, different schemes you know, they can it, it's, a, it's a smart move to you know to consolidate their their loyalty program and you know get get money out there and slight wooden dollars because I'm sure they're just hoping that you know the redemptions used Within their hotels, feeds down into uh, into fees earned. Um, yeah, I, I massively think the, uh, the the sort of the big brands using their loyalty programs and engaging guests, um, you know, and a strategic way of you know getting money in the door is is going to be very very important. And to, if there is going to be this V bounce uh, in in the in the cycle. Mm. Do you think a V or a W or a an uh, yeah, L? Or? Yeah, yeah, well, as on them, um, you know, listen to the STR guys the other day. They were trying to come up with. I think there will be there will be a boost and then a lag, um, and I also think then it's going to be driven by your market. Is your market driven by 
uh, a younger consumer or an older consumer? Um, do I want to go on a city break and be absolutely rammed down a very tiny, small European city street? Or am I very happy to go to a resort where there's plenty of space and, you know, that's where I want to be. So I think all of those mm. things are going to come into play and, you know, what, you know, certain markets appeal to different age demographics. And um, that's where we are probably going to see younger people going, you know, it hasn't affected us as greatly as others, but equally then there's going to be a, a financial impact of them having less money. So travel is probably one of the first things that could, you know, potentially get um, pushed down the priority list of um, spending your disposable income. Yeah. Um, so is that making you look more as an investor, more to economy brands or hostels or anything well, on those lines? <laughs> no, I think <laughs> hostels. Um, no, no, no. You know, hostels. I think the the uh, the historical hostel of 18, you know, bunks in a bedroom in a dormitory structure, it's now more those kind of rooms is 30 percent than, you know, four to a room 30 percent, then doubles 30 percent. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, sharing things. All of those things are are really going to be, you know, sharing kitchens, anything like that. I think people will be sort of less drawn to. So mm -hmm. while, you know, could it potentially drive the Airbnb business a little bit more? Now it's less regulated in terms of hygiene and cleanliness, but people feel very much I'm in the front door. The other guests I'm staying with, I know all these guests, we're the only people using this space. And I think that kind of um, transparency of who, who's been in and out, et cetera, might, might help Airbnb. Uh, or Sonder, you know, one of these kind of alternative uh, accommodation platforms. Yeah. Um, so where are you seeing opportunity? Are you seeing opportunity yet? No, you know, uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't think so. At this stage, it's, it's affected every region and every, it's not just going, oh, resorts are dead, but people are still going to do the city breaks, which you might have seen in no ways, that people weren't taking the very expensive two-week family holiday, but three or four days, you know, city break to Paris, Barcelona, you know, these kind of things were still happening, um, but it's it's affecting every aspect of the market. So at, at the moment, there's nothing. Uh, you might see markets where you were probably being outpriced and, you know, it was above your investment criteria or your parameters and, you know, exit yields might be getting a little bit softer and a little, it might be a little bit more appealing uh, to people now. And that might be just to purely add to your platform and go, that's a, a market that we strategically want to be located in and uh, to mm. sort of balance out our portfolio. Excellent. Cool. Rob, that was extremely enlightening. Um, I now even more don't want to go into any hostels. So <laughs> that's worked out very well. Um, thank you for your time today. Thank you. If you're listening to this before the 18th of May, you're warmly invited to join us for InSync, a virtual event hosted by Questex Hospitality Group that commits to uniting senior leadership within the global hospitality sector. The event programme will look at the global hospitality investment landscape and how to plan for its future. Plus, we'll hear from the CEOs at Best Western, IHG and Radisson on the lessons they have learned and how they're adapting to the new normal, as well as a panel of investors discussing the opportunities post-outbreak and how the crisis has affected their strategies. To register, visit hospitalityinsights.com, click Attend an Event from the drop-down menu and select InSync. Rearrange your bookshelf background, block out your diary, and we'll see you there. We're talking today with Russell Kett. So, Russell, is now a good time to be in hotels or is now a good time to run away from hotels? Well, if you're already in them, then it's a brilliant time to be uh, in <laughs> hotels. Uh, if you're not, then now is a time perhaps to be even thinking 
about hotels because sadly um, we're in the middle of a period where I can only see grief for many people um, but that always means that there are going to be some people out there who will use the money that's sitting in their bank accounts burning a hole earning no interest and whatever uh, perhaps to come in and acquire assets over uh, the next period of time um, but sadly um, many people are now just focused on making the best of what they're doing during a period of closure and with many staff furloughed um, and, and starting to think about what they might need to do when it comes to reopening their hotel. But it isn't just as simple as opening the doors and saying uh, we're welcome and putting a, a fresh bowl of flowers in the front desk. No, no. So what are your thoughts on the whole cleanliness road that um, we've seen Accor last week and Marriott this week with the Global Global Cleanliness Council? Yes. Yeah. Um, how convincing do you think these things are or will need to be to get people through the door? Um, they are going to be far more required than most people have actually realised. I applaud uh, Accor's initiative. I applaud Marriott's. Um, but the, the key issue, people have to build back trust with the guest and for hoteliers to do that they're going to have to present their hotel in a way that the guest is going to feel wholly comfortable with coming back and staying with them and so forth. Um, cleanliness is part of the issue but addressing other parts of the uh, trust equation is also going to be equally hard and I'll give you an example most hotels that perhaps you and I stay in, they've got a buffet breakfast. Now, that's not going to be possible under at least the first part of a reopened hotel. Guests are not going to feel confident using a buffet in the way that they have done in the past. Um, if you're a resort hotel, and there is talk of some resorts in the Mediterranean areas, uh, some hotels not even opening during 2021. Um, but if you're going to open and you're going to offer your resort facility, whether it's a beach or whether it's a pool or whatever, are you going to provide perspex screens between guests who are sunbathing and whatever, just to reassure them? That's a huge cost. Um, mm. So social distancing, I think, will be part of uh, the equation uh, and getting the guest to trust you to get everything right is a huge part of that. Cleanliness um, is very much part of that and not just doing it before you reopen but between every stay that room is going to have to be prepared in a way that guests will expect. I don't know whether you've seen a video that's come out from Emirates Airlines it is a superb two minutes worth on what they do to clean an aircraft before mm. it leaves Dubai. And so, so thorough. If hotel guests see that video, they're going to want the same sort of treatment when they come and stay in a hotel to feel assured that that's what's happened. Yeah. So in an environment which will be higher in cost and lower in occupancy, inevitably, uh, who makes the decision on when to open the hotel? Is it the brand? Is it the owner? It's everybody. And by the time we're ready to make that decision, hopefully the relationship between the brand, the owner, the bank, the 
uh, operator and all those various parties, hopefully all those things will have been ironed out because it isn't just a, a one person decision. And nor is it a question of just opening your doors and saying to the staff that you may have furloughed, uh, here we are, we're back at work again, come. Um, it's not going to be like that. The guests are not going to come flooding in through the door. They're going to take a while. And it isn't your total guests uh, that are going to be coming first off. Probably domestic stroke local leisure will be the first people to start developing uh, an interest in staying in, in hotels. Um, it's going to be a while and a long while uh, before business levels start to pick up where you've got your business guests, your corporate guests and so forth. They're going to be working under severely restricted travel budgets um, and that might continue, who knows, throughout 2020, I suspect at least, maybe mm. into 2021. Then you've got MICE events, meetings, incentives, conferences and events and so forth. It's going to be a long time before people will have the courage, first of all, to book them. And then they will have to wait and see whether the public at large is going to support those events, uh, because that will again require social distancing to be practiced and people to feel confident um, that they are going to be safe. Yeah. Um, so which are the hotels which are likely to fall off, in your opinion? Um, we've seen in China, we've seen a lot of recovery from the economy sector, um, from hotels which don't have air conditioning, uh, <laughs> hotels which aren't in city centres. It's quite disparate. Um, and of those hotels, how many will buyers want to rescue if they can pick them up cheaply and how many of them will just never return? I, I never thought I'd be saying that hotels will be more successful if they don't have air conditioning, given that I've probably spent the last 30 years encouraging so many uh, to put it in. But actually, um, just going back to a comment I was making before about Emirates, um, in their video, they showed how they prepare an aircraft, even to the changing of filters in their air conditioning systems between flights. So. Mm. Aircon is still going to have to uh, be used. People are, are going to have to have confidence uh, that they're safe and protected. Um, and so um, I don't necessarily think that that is going to be a factor um, that is going to cause uh, hotels not to reopen. But there will be some casualties. So let's just look at, at, at who those casualties might be. Um, hoteliers that have failed to keep their product up to snuff, who've not invested, who've allowed the product to deteriorate and so forth, they will probably discover that preparing those hotels um, for the guest of tomorrow is going to be much harder. They may be forced into a decision that says, uh, unless we incur expenditure of X, Y or Z, we're not going to be in a position to recover. Where are we going to get that money from? We don't have it. Um, other hotels that are perhaps uh, under leases, um, the owner of those leases, the freeholder, uh, is certainly going to want their rent. Now, my suspicion is that most of those uh, hotels that are being operated at the moment, there have already been some difficult conversations uh, between the lessee and the lessor. And maybe there's been some grace that's been agreed and so forth. Um, but unless the operator can still 
make money out of the hotel and whatever, you might find that some of those are just going to hand the keys back and say, here you are, chum, get on with it. Um, so they may not be hotels. Uh, they may get turned into something else if they can get change of use permissions and so forth. Some of them may become residential. Uh, some of them may become different types of hotels that have a chance to be more successful in the environment of the future. And so for the environment of the future, uh, we've heard a lot from um, owners saying that they are interested in changing their hotels into something that which is not necessarily going to get shut down by governments um, every time a virus comes washing through. Um, is that the kind of thing that you're looking at or is it just more of a, a rigid change of use done over no more hotel? Um, I would I would say it's going to be difficult to think of a reversion back to the current lockdown that doesn't involve hotels being closed unless they are dealing with government related, NHS related um, or uh, homeless people or, or, or something which is state related uh, that allows them to uh, to continue in operation. Um, it may well happen again and, and because it's likely to happen again, we need to have a plan that allows for that and understands how we will go about that and deal with that uh, in an effective way. But my hope of course, is that hotels will be able to reopen, that they will be able to get the trust of their guest and economically they will still be viable. But it's that economic mm. equation that is the most troubling for so many people at the moment, especially when you hear government ministers saying the hospitality industry is going to be late back to the game of being running again. Yes. Um, that worries me. Uh, it worried me when the announcement was made a couple of weeks ago that advised people against travel. Um, you know, it, it is an open-ended situation. They weren't saying, we don't recommend you don't make any arrangements for a month or two. They were saying indefinitely. That doesn't mm. give a lot of hope uh, to many hoteliers that uh, they can look forward with much confidence, especially if they're already under some severe financial pressure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, as far as supply goes, before all this, we were getting very concerned in Europe, in London in particular, about lots of supply going onto the market and damaging performance. And um, obviously there are other things damaging performance at the moment. But do you think this is going to hinder supply in I wouldn't say a positive way? If you were planning on opening a hotel, it's probably very sad for you that you're not. Um, but is there potential for this to take some of the heat out of things when it's when we reopen? Well, if you're opening a hotel that is close to opening, I don't think there is anything going to affect that hotel reopening um, because you've invested the money and all of that investment um, is going to start burning a big hole in your pocket if you're not able to open the hotel pretty well close to when it was planned to open. Um, the ones I'm slightly more concerned about are those that are perhaps a year out two years out, three years out, where they're sitting in a pipeline list um, and nobody's got the real heart or inclination or investment to be able to uh, make those come to fruition. Um, so I think some of the supply pipeline will be removed by, let's just call it natural forces. Um, that which is sufficiently far advanced to be able to open, I think 
eventually will. It may be delayed, but it eventually will open. They may have to put some changes in place, um, things like buffet breakfasts and so forth. Um, they may just have to rejig their F&B uh, to make sure that they can conform with the requirements of social distancing and customer preferences. Um, so to that extent, um, some adjustment may need to be made. But what that is going to have is where there were already supply growth pressures and a feeling that maybe there wasn't going to be enough demand to fulfill and fill that increased supply, that might then cause more difficulties as those markets start to build back. Uh, but for the most part, over time, and, and time is a, um, a variable, but over time, I would expect most markets to come back demand-wise. But rather than thinking of that being this year and, and maybe next year, it may just take that bit longer uh, for those demand curves to go back up again. There is talk, as always, of a V-shaped recovery from a disaster uh, such as this. However, this disaster has the difference where we're starting again with loads of hotels having to reopen. So I don't think it's going to be a, a V-shaped recovery or even an elongated V uh, with a bit of a gap in the middle. I think it could well be a W. I think mm. because the propensity of this virus to reoccur might cause there to be either at least a pause in that recovery or a further downturn causing that W shape. And uh, that could well be extended over a period of several years. Yeah. Yes, I think a kind of a shape is uh, is what we're all looking at at the moment, unfortunately. Um, and finally, um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on valuation. If you're looking to sell your hotel at the moment, can it be valued? Will you need one or more dice in which to achieve this valuation? Well, if, if, if you're you, then yes, get the dice out and, and start rolling them. Um, for people who regard themselves as professional valuers, um, <laughs> such as my own colleagues and my, our own firm, um, we are bound by something called the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. The RICS has not forbidden us from valuing and encourages us to deal with the valuation of hotels or, or any other business for that matter, but hotels in our case, um, in as pragmatic a way as possible, taking account of the current conditions. Um, and, and that we are doing. Um, you typically value a hotel three ways. One of the ways that you value the hotel is to um, have regard to the anticipated future earnings. You also look at other examples of transactions which have taken, what prices have been paid for, as well as depreciated replacement cost. Now, at the moment, there are very few, if any, transactions happening. So you really don't have very much to go on in that set of comparisons. Uh, obviously, you want to know, is it cheaper to make the hotel uh, or buy the hotel? If it's cheaper to make a hotel, to build a hotel and, and so forth, um, then uh, that's one way of, uh, of approaching it. But typically, you would make an estimate of what the anticipated future earnings are going to be over time. 
Now, obviously, 2021 is going to be a difficult year and that number is going to be much lower than uh, it would have been in terms of the anticipated net income. But as you go forward on that, uh, you should then see income starting to grow back. And on that basis, uh, you would do a discounted cash flow in order to come up with a net present value. Then you have to say, does it pass the giggle test? The giggle test being, can I really afford either to sell it at that price or not to sell it at that price? Am I under pressure? And all those parts of the equation need to be considered. Great. Well, thank you, Russell. It seems that in the hotel sector, as ever, it's all going to be a matter of and um, we look forward to seeing how that plans out. Well, let's hope. Good luck. <laughs> Indeed. Good luck. Thank you to our hosts and contributors for creating this week's episode. Plenty to consider, absorb and reflect on. If your appetite for knowledge remains unquenched, visit our website, hospitalityinsights.com, for more content with purpose and tune in next week for another new episode of In Focus.